have some ushers here, some young ushers that are bringing some notes to you all while we turn in our Bibles today to the book of Job. If you'll find your copy of God's Word and turn there with us, I would like to cite several passages, several portions of Scripture in the book of Job. And so I know that um, looking at the crowd we have here today, I'm, I'm confident that we have enough handouts for everybody. So take one and uh, follow along with not just the outline, but there's some uh, visual aid on the outline here as well. So find those notes uh, handy. I hope uh, hope they'll be helpful to you. While they're passing those out, I'll just take a moment to begin going through some of the arrow points uh, early in the introduction here. Our series these days on Sunday mornings is a survey of the scripture, of what we're calling it a marathon survey of the scripture, and we're giving one service to each book of the Bible. Now, there are 42 chapters in the book of Job, so this is either going to be an incredibly long service, or you have to understand that we will not be able to touch everything in this book, and I hope you do realize that. Not everything will be able to be addressed in the book of Job. Uh, 42 chapters in the book of Job divided into 1,070 verses. It's, as we understand it, the most ancient book in the Bible. Uh, I read this week from one writer who believes that the book of Job was written somewhere between the 11th and 12th chapter of the book of Genesis. And um, I can't argue with that. I think that might be a, a pretty accurate assessment uh, theory about the date of the writing of the book of Job. We believe it was probably written by Abraham, possibly some of it by Moses. Uh, it may have been written as early as 1445 BC. You see there in your notes. And a very important note, arrow number three, it is impossible to understand the true nature of the book unless you understand that the primary subject of the book is not Job. The primary subject of the book is not Job. This was what I'm calling a contest between God and Satan. And that's why your red title at the top of your notes calls it Caught in the Crossfire. You see, there has been a cosmic chess match going on between God and Satan since before the foundation of the world. Satan made a play against God and tried to steal his omnipotence, his omnipresence, and his omniscience. And God refused Satan those liberties, and Satan was cast out. And a third of the angels were cast out with him. That was Satan's first move. And God counter-moved by casting Satan out. Satan's second move was in the Garden of Eden when he got Eve away from her husband and began to try to persuade Eve that God was not as good as he actually claimed to be. And he said, um, wouldn't you like to be like God's, knowing the difference between good and evil? And Eve gave in to the temptations of Satan, and Satan probably did some kind of a fist pump. He probably said, yes, I've got him. i got God where I want him. The couple that he loves and the couple that he created are now right in my grasp. And then Adam fell. And after Adam and Eve were both fallen, Satan said, this is it. And God came along and made coats of skins. He slew an animal, the innocent dying for the guilty. And Satan got his counter move. God took him down again. And then it was Satan and God during the days of Abraham. Then it was Satan and God during the days of Moses. Then it was Satan and God during the days when the children of Israel were in captivity in Egypt. Then it was Satan and God against each other while the children of Israel are in the wilderness. Then it was Satan and God. You see, it's always been a contest between two of them. And sometimes people like Job, unfortunately, get caught in the crossfire between Satan and God. And I'd just like to pause a minute and suggest to you what a crossfire that is. And as Satan and God are in this rigorous conflict with each other, we find the opening remarks of the book of Job to be incredibly important. The Bible begins in 
chapter 1. I'll just let you scan over it with your eyes. Verses 1 down through verse number 5 by telling us that Job was quite a man. He is what the Bible calls perfect, upright in all of his ways, a man that fears God and a man that eschews evil. Job has children and Job has wealth. He has a business. He has a marriage. All of these things are listed for us in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And while Job is, is just going about his daily business, unaware of what is happening in heaven, the Bible begins in verse number 6 of chapter 1, if you'll look at that, to tell us the story of how Satan and God select Job to be the battleground for their conflict. It says in chapter 1, verse 6, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan came also among them. Now just picture that in your mind. Satan in the throne room of God. And there he is. God says to him in verse 7, the Lord said unto Satan, Whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, he's suggesting in verse number 7, I've been looking for someone to, to scandalize. I've been looking for someone to, to cause them to stumble. And in verse 8, God suggests Job. Now I want you to wrap your brain around that. If you ever get your brain wrapped around that, it's never going to go back to its original shape. God said, have you considered my servant Job? And when God points out Job, he tells us a little bit about his character. Verse 8, he says, Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil or avoids evil. Verse 9, then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? This is the reasoning of a, of, a, of, of a less than omniscient devil. Let's find out if Job really fears you. Let's find the reasons why Job fears you. Verse 10, hast thou made an hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. Verse 11, Satan says, But put forth thine hand now and touch all that he hath and he will curse thee to thy face. Satan pretends to know what Job will do if God takes down the hedge. You see, there's a hedge around all of us. That was a good chance for you to say amen. And that hedge extends in my personal family. I keep a, a, a constant watch on that hedge. That hedge presently is around my business and my church. That hedge presently is around my children, my wife, our health. It's all inside of the hedge of God's protection. It bring, almost brings tears to your eyes, doesn't it? God supervises that hedge. I would dare to say that not many of us got up this morning thinking about our hedge and what's just past the edge of that hedge. You see, just an inch past that hedge, Satan is waiting to attack you. Just a, just a fraction of an inch maybe even past that hedge, Satan wants your business and Satan wants your health and Satan wants your testimony. And so the story continues in chapters 1 and 2 that God began to shrink the hedge of Job. He shrank the hedge so that all that was left inside of it was Job, his wife, and his children, leaving his business outside of the hedge. And Satan came and touched Job's business. Job was a very wealthy man for his day. And when Satan touched his wealth, 
He lost all of his livestock. That was the currency of the day. He lost all of his cattle and his livestock and his properties, all of it in one day, just with a, with a puff of air, boom, it's gone. Job goes home that night to his wife and says, we're wiped out. I don't know what's going on, but I lost everything today in one colossal bankruptcy. It's all gone. And his wife scratches her head, but Job does not charge God. On the next day, the Bible tells us that God allowed Satan to invade the hedge around his family. Job's children are at a banquet And the scripture says that out of nowhere a a twister comes down and all of Job's children are sucked up. All of them perish in one afternoon, in in one moment of time. They're all gone. One servant survives the situation and goes back to Job and he says, Job, I alone survived to come and report to you that all of your children are dead. And now Job is looking out of his house window at ten fresh graves. They're all dead. But the hedge still is around Job's marriage. His wife comes to him on one occasion and says, Job... This is more than you and I can bear. I cannot stand to see you in this kind of situation. Job, why don't you curse God and die? And Job tells his wife in chapter 2, you speak like a foolish woman. You speak like an unbeliever. We can trust God through this. We, We will be faithful in spite of all that's going on around us. And then if you read the balance of chapter number two, what we discover is that God allowed the hedge to go from Job's business down to Job's children and it left out Job's marriage. And then all of a sudden now it's just Job and his health. That's it. God never takes away the hedge, but he shrinks it down and tailors it to the exact size of Job's soul. His body is now going to be left outside that hedge. The scripture tells us in chapter number 2, verses 7, verse number 8, chapter 2, verse 12, chapter 3, verse 24, chapter 3, verse 25, that Job's body was covered with a situation, a medical condition that the Bible just calls boils. Boils. The sores covered him. The Bible says from the bottoms of his feet to the top of his head. There was not a square inch of Job's body that was not afflicted and tormented by these sores. You can read more about them on your own. I don't have the time to cover it today, but in in chapter 2, the symptoms are described as inflamed ulcerous sores, chapter 2, verse 7. Persistent itching, chapter 2, verse 8. Degenerative changes in facial skin, Chapter 2, verse 12, loss of appetite. Chapter 3, verse 24, fears and depression. Chapter 3, verse 25, sores that the Bible describes as bursting open, scabbing over, cracking and oozing with pus and infection and ungodly things. It's so bad that Job, the Bible says, takes a pot and breaks it. And he uses the jagged, sharp edge of that pot. He calls it a potsherd. He uses the jagged edge of that to to scrape the heads. I know it's before lunch, but please let me just preach the word here. He scrapes the heads off of the the lesions and the he wants the fever to get out and the infection to get out. And so Job tries to self-medicate. You see, he can't afford to go to the doctor. He he is he smells so bad that he's now been moved outside of his house into an open field. You would smell him before you saw him. Job's in pitiful condition. Would you agree with that so far, church? That's chapters 2 and 3. Then we come, if you look at your outline, I'll skip some here and just take you down to Roman numeral number 1. That's the, I just, what I've just described is the disastrous situation of Job. 
It's a conflict between God and Satan. Can I just give you a mature thought before we go forward? God never told Job what was going on. So Job is left to speculate, have I done something wrong? Job has three friends. They'll later be joined by a fourth friend, and they all come to Job's side, and they begin to speculate. I wonder why God would allow something like this to happen to a man like Job. And his illness and his bankruptcy and the condition of his marriage and the burial of his children, one thing right behind another, all of it brings us to this terrible, horrible condition. By the way, those sores that it talks about that afflict Job are also discussed in Revelation chapter 16, verse number 11, as a, a, one of the plagues that's going to come during the tribulation when they blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores. It is something that God is going to do in judgment on those blasphemous people during the tribulation period. That's the exact same sore that we're talking about here. It was very similar to the sores that Lazarus had in Luke chapter 16. You remember where the Bible said that he was so covered with them and the putrefaction was so bad that even the dogs came and licked his sores. Job's a sight. It's terrible. If we can't agree on anything else today, I think we can agree on that. And what's worse than the terribleness is the mystery of it. Why is this happening to me? Why are these afflictions visiting my home? After all, God described Job as perfect and upright, a man that feared God and eschewed evil. Did you hear that? Perfect and upright, a man that feared God and eschewed evil. That's not Job's personal testimony of himself. That is God's assessment. So Job is a sacrificing man. He's a righteous man. He's a God-fearing man. Why is this happening? And even more importantly, the question why is only overpowered by the question when will this end? Job's wife takes on that task. She says, you can stop this today if you would just curse God and die. I can't stand to see you in this situation. She's, she's, not, uh, she's not on the prowl looking for somebody else. She just can't stand to see her husband in this case. So she says, if you would curse God, you would die today and you'd go to heaven and this would all be over. That's the, if you're looking at your outline, that's the disastrous situation of Job. He doesn't know it's a conflict between God and Satan. If you're looking at your outline, after chapter 2 comes to a close, we jump into chapter 3 through chapter 42, verse 6, and we find the desperate search of Job. The question now is why and how long? Why and how long? Listen to it again. If you're young in here, this may not be resonating with you, but if you've ever been through any length of trials, you have asked yourself those two questions. Why is this happening and how long is this going to last? It's a conversation between Job and his friends. <laughs> Will you take your Bible and let's let our fingers do the walking? If you'll take your scripture and just turn with me, please, if you would, to chapter 4, verse number 1. Let's skip to there. Job has three mouthy friends. A fourth friend is going to be added in just a few moments. And in chapter, just to bring you up to speed, in chapter number 2... The story concludes with the demise of Job. He is in terrible shape and he is, as it were, taking a vow of silence. He is sitting in ashes. He is literally grieving and lamenting everything that has happened to him. And he says nothing in chapter number, in chapter number three, verse number one. It says, after this opened Job his mouth and cursed his day. He breaks his vow of silence in chapter 3, verse number 1. That's important because this is an oriental culture. And in oriental culture, when you visited someone who was mourning, you didn't say a word until they spoke first. 
So at the end of chapter 2, Job says nothing for an undisclosed length of time. And in chapter 3, he opens his mouth and confesses his desire to die. He says, I wish my, to, to sum it all up, in chapter 3, you're going to read things like, he wishes he had never been conceived. He wishes he had been, he wishes he had been miscarried as a baby. He wishes that God would snuff out his life. He's talking all kind of crazy stuff. And at the end of chapter number 3, he stops talking. And then chapter 4, verse 1, I want you to see this. Eliphaz, the Temanite, answers. Now it's time for the friends to talk. (laughs) What do they say? Go to chapter 4, verse 7. Eliphaz says, remember, speaking of Job, remember, I pray thee, Whoever perished being innocent, you want to know what that means? Job, you must have been into something. No one ever had anything like this happen to them if they were innocent. Go ahead, cough it up, Job. Where's the sin? Where's the transgression? Where's the iniquity? Tell us, no one ever goes through things like this unless God is punishing them. He continues in verse 7. He said, where were the righteous cut off? Verse chapter 4, verse 12. Now a thing, Eliphaz begins to pontificate here. He says, now a thing was secretly brought to me. And mine ear received a little thereof. And thoughts from the visions of the night. In other words, when he was dreaming and deep sleep falleth on men. Fear, Eliphaz says in verse 14, came upon me. And trembling, which made all my bones to shake. Then a spirit passed before my face. The hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern the form thereof. An image was before mine eyes. There was silence, and I heard a voice saying... Now, now Eliphaz here is, is pretending to speak for God. Look what he says in verse 17. Shall mortal man be more just than God? Shall a man be more pure than his maker? In other words, Job, if you think you're perfect, you're pretending. Go ahead, Job. Tell us what you did. Tell us why God is punishing you. Eliphaz, by the way, continues all the way through chapter 5. Talk about a long-winded diatribe. Look at chapter 5, verse 17. Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. Therefore, despise not thou the chastening of the Almighty. Job, you sinned. We know it. You're just not willing to admit it. God is chastening you. And then in chapter 6, verse 1, Job speaks up again. Job is also long-winded because he talks all the way from chapter 6, verse number 1 to the end of chapter 7. He says so much in response to Eliphaz that Eliphaz doesn't have a response back. And then in chapter 8, it's Bildad's turn. Job's second friend speaks up. Verse 1, chapter 8. Then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, Look what he says. What a friend, right? How long wilt thou speak these things? How long shall the words of thy mouth be like a strong wind? Verse 3, doth God pervert judgment? In other words, Job, are you of the assumption that God is wrong for what he's done to you? Are you of the assumption that God has perverted his own principles of judgment in doing this? He continues in verse 3, doth God pervert judgment or doth the Almighty pervert justice? Job, you're getting what you deserve. Job, you must have done something evil. You must have done something ungodly. And God has come back on your head with vengeance. Chapter 8, verse 4. If thy children have sinned against him, Job, God killed your children. What a terrible thing to say. Verse 5. If thou wouldest seek unto God betimes, that means early, and make thy supplication to the Almighty. In other words, Job, go look for God. Bildad talks for the whole of chapter number 8. And then in chapter 9, Job answers Bildad. Are you staying with me so far? I'm letting the Bible control what's being said here today, all right? 
There's so much more I, I want to add, but I want you to know what the book of Job is actually about. Bildad finishes in chapter 8. Job starts in chapter 9 and he keeps talking all the way to verse 35. And then he goes into chapter 10 and keeps talking all the way to verse number 22. Job can't make sense of it. Eliphaz can't make sense of it. Now Bildad has failed to make sense of it. So now whose turn is it? It's Zophar's turn. Chapter 11, verse 1. I wonder if he has something good to say. Then answered Zophar of the Naamathite and said, Should not the multitude of words be answered, and should a man full of talk be justified? Should thy lies make them hold their peace? And when thou mockest, shall no man make thee ashamed? For thou hast said, My doctrine is pure, and I am clean in thine eyes. Verse 5, But all that God would speak and open his lips against thee, Verse 6, and that he would show thee the secrets of wisdom, that they are double to that which is. Know therefore that God exacteth of thee less than thine iniquity deserveth. In other words, Job, God killed your children. God wrecked your business. God saw that your marriage disintegrated. God took your health, but he let you live. Can't you say something positive, Job? Zophar offers no help. He continues on through chapter 11, verse 20, and then Job answers in chapter 12, verse 1. Are you seeing all this, church? Job talks for all of chapter 12, all of chapter 13, all of chapter 14. He just keeps trying to make sense of it. Still no answers. Heaven is silent. Satan is watching very closely. He keeps needling Job. Go ahead, Job. Blame God. Go ahead, Job. Curse God with your tongue. Go ahead, Job. Tell God that you hate him. Tell God how angry you are. Go ahead, Job. Curse God. Curse God. And, and God is waiting patiently on the portals of glory watching this whole situation. And because it's a contest between God and Satan, Job has no idea what's going on. So in chapter 13 and chapter 14, Job just keeps talking and talking and talking. And then in chapter 15, Eliaphaz speaks up again and he says, I want to take a second turn. Chapter 15, verse 1. Then answered Eliphaz, verse 2. Should a wise man utter vain knowledge and fill his belly with the east wind? Verse 3. Should he reason with unprofitable talk or with speeches wherewith he can do no good? Verse 4. Yea, thou castest off fear and restrainest prayer before God. Verse 5. For thy mouth uttereth thine iniquity and thou choosest the tongue of the crafty. In other words, Job, you keep praising God. You keep talking about how good God is. You keep rejoicing in the Lord. And we all know you're taking his name in vain because if you had not been a, such a sinner, this wouldn't have happened to you. Don't you hate it when people get preachy like that? This has to be your fault. Don't you hate that? I mean, he's got 10 graves outside and here they come saying, Job, those kids are dead because of something you've done. But go ahead, Job, confess it. Tell us what it is. It'll be in the National Enquirer by morning. Go ahead, tell us. Job says, I don't know what I've done. He said, all I've ever done was give and serve and labor in the work of the Lord. All I've ever done is, is worshiped him. All I've ever done has been faithful in sacrifices. I don't know what's happening. They said, Job, you're a liar. You're a liar. Tell us what you've actually done. Tell us about your private life. Job said, there is no private life. Chapter 16, Job answers Eliphaz. He continues in chapter 16 and goes all the way through chapter 17. Then in chapter 18, Bildad wants another turn. <laughs> Are you seeing the book? Bildad speaks up, chapter 18, verse 2. How long will it be ere ye make an end of words? Mark, and afterwards we will speak. Wherefore we are... We are uh, wherefore are we uh, counted as beasts and reputed vile in your sight? He teareth himself in his anger. 
Shall the earth be forsaken for thee? Shall the rock be removed out of his place? Verse 5, yea, the light of the wicked shall be put out. He called him wicked. And he says, God's going to snuff you out. God's going to put you out. And the spark of his fire shall not shine. Verse 6, he really rubs the, the salt in the wound. Verse 6, the light shall be dark in his tabernacle and his candle shall be put out with him. Job, God killed your kids and God ruined your business and God wrecked your marriage and God took your health and now all that's left is your health. Why don't you confess before God kills you before he puts out your light? Chapter 19, verse 1. Job spends a whole chapter saying, Confess what? I don't know what to confess. So Zophar takes another turn. Chapter 20, verse 2. Therefore do my thoughts cause me to answer, and for this I make haste. I have heard the check of my reproach, and the spirit of my understanding causeth me to answer. In other words, I got it. Now I know. All of this talk, all these hours and hours of dialogue and conversation. Verse 4, Knowest thou not this of old, since man was placed upon earth, that the triumphing of the wicked is short, and the joy of the hypocrite but for a moment? Job, you had your day. You're a hypocrite and you're wicked, and that's how you made your money. You're a hypocrite and you're wicked and that's how you had those beautiful children. You're a hypocrite and you're wicked and that's how your marriage succeeded. But God knows how to deal with hypocrites. God has brought the chickens home to roost, Job. Admit it, you're a hypocrite. Job won't admit it. You know what I've noticed through this book so far? I hear this person talking. I hear that person talking. I hear this third and fourth person talking. I hear a fifth person talking. By the way, Job's got a a fourth friend that's going to be added to the course before the book is over. The one thing that is conspicuously absent here is God hasn't spoken. Can I preach for just a second? Do you have the kind of faith that can outlast the silence of God? Ponder that. Is your, does your faith need sight? Does your faith have to know what's happening? Does your, does your faith need the input or is it real? Can your faith look back on the last thing God said, which was Job as a perfect man, upright, a man that fears God and eschews evil. That's the last thing you heard from God. Do you have the kind of faith that will not permit your circumstances to change your mind on that? You see, God's digging for gold in Job. And later, Job would testify and say, when I'm tried, I shall come forth as gold. You know, gold isn't on the surface. Gold's not easy to find. You got to scar the land. You got to do some excavating. Are you with me, church? You got to do some digging. You got to wound the ground to dig the gold out. And that's where Job's at. He's being cut and lacerated and wounded and excavated by God. And Job is clinging to the promise. If, if God finds that gold in there, he said, I'll come forth tried as gold. Job answers in chapter 21. Then Eliphaz speaks again in chapter 22, verse 2. Can a man be profitable unto God as he is as wise as profitable unto himself? He just goes on and they just keep regurgitating the same argument. Job admits something, confess something. Verse 23, Job answers. Chapter, excuse me, chapter 23, Job answers. Chapter 24, Job continues his answer. Chapter 25, Bildad wants a third chance. He says in chapter 25, verse 4, How then can man be justified with God or how can he be clean that is born of woman? Job, how can you say you're clean? How can you say you've done nothing wrong? There's no, no one that has that testimony. Chapter 26, verse 1, Job answers. Chapter 27, verse 1, Job starts finally figuring it out. Are you ready for it? 
Moreover, I love that. Listen, don't forget that important word. That's the first chapter that's been opened with that word. Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, look at it, church, as God liveth, Job says, who hath taken away my judgment and the Almighty who hath vexed my soul all the while my breath is in me. I'm still alive and the Spirit of God is in my nostrils. Verse 4, my lips shall not speak wickedness nor my tongue utter deceit. God forbid, Job says, that I should justify you till I die. I will not remove mine integrity from me. That's pretty good, isn't it? He continues, go to chapter 28, verse 1. Surely don't don't underestimate that word. Surely there is a vein for the silver and a place for the gold. You got to dig it out, but it's down there. Verse 2, iron is taken out of the earth and brass is molten out of the stone. He setteth an end to darkness and stretcheth out all perfection, the stones of darkness and the shadow of death. Chapter 29, verse 1, moreover, Job Continued. Chapter 30, Job continues. Chapter 31, Job continues. He's trying with everything in him to go back to the doctrines, to go back to the, to go back to the, listen, to the underpinnings of his faith. God will not forsake the faithful. He he cites those things. In chapter 32, it starts winding down. Are you ready, church? This is going to get better, I promise you. If you're a real Christian, you're not bored with the word. This is going to get better, but you've got to be faithful to everything that's between. Chapter 32, verse 1. So these three men cease to answer Job. What's their conclusion? Because he's righteous in his own eyes. We know the truth, but he won't admit it. And then this fourth friend shows up, and he's a young man. (laughs) I reckon if he's got anything to say. Chapter 32, verse 4. Now Elihu had waited till Job had spoken because they were elder than he. And then he speaks up. Go to chapter 32, verse 19. Uh, He says, I've been listening to all y'all talk so long. He said, here's how I feel. My belly is as wine which hath no vent. You know what happens when, when wine has no vent and it ferments? It just gets tighter and the container gets tighter and tighter and tighter. He says, uh, verse 19, I've been listening to y'all talk for so long, my belly's like wine that has no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. Then he starts pouring it on. Chapter 34, verse number 1, Elihu answers. And in verse number 3, he says, The ear trieth words as the mouth tasteth meat. How vivid is that? Verse 4, let us choose to us judgment. Let us know among ourselves what is good. In chapter 34, verse 12, he continues, Yea, surely, remember I told you to to underscore that word, surely God will not do wickedly. Wait a second. Somebody finally got it right. This is not the works of God at all, is it? God will not do wickedly, neither will the Almighty pervert judgment. Verse 13 Elihu continues, Who hath given him a charge over the earth, or who hath disposed the whole world? Verse 14, If he set his heart upon man, if he gather unto himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh shall perish together, and man shall turn again unto dust. He continues on and on and on and gives a faithful testimony about how God deals with man. And Job is finally comforted. But it's not a seasoned older friend. It's a young sprout who comes along and finally gives him some comfort. In chapter 36, Elihu proceeded. Then chapter 37, it just keeps going. And then the moment we've all been waiting for, chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job. You want to hear this? Notice the question marks in chapters 38, 39, 40, 41. Question after question after question. Look at some of them. Chapter 38, verse 4. God says to Job, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? Were you there, Job? 
Somebody tell me the answer. No, God, I wasn't. Chapter 38, verse 12. Hast thou commanded the morning since thy days? In other words, Job, can you make the sun come up? Somebody tell me the answer. No, God, I can't. Uh, 38, 13. That it might take hold of the ends of the earth and the wicked might be shaken out of it. 38, 20 to 38, 19. Where is the way where light dwelleth? He continues that dialogue down into verse 22. Chapter 38, verse 28. Hath the reign a father? Now, if you're a father, you know how many children you have, don't you? Job is asked, how many raindrops are there, Job? Somebody answer that with me. I don't know, God. But guess who does know? God knows exactly how many raindrops fell the other night on Hillsborough County. Exactly. Uh, chapter 3831. Canst thou bind sweet influences of Pleiades or loose the bands of Orion? That's the constellations. He says, Job, are you in charge of those? Job says, no, God, I'm not. Chapter 39, verse 13. Gavest thou the goodly wings under the peacocks? No, God, I didn't do that. Chapter 39, verse 26. Dost the hawk fly by thy wisdom? No, God, it doesn't. Verse 27. Doth the eagle mount up at thy command? No, God, it doesn't. Chapter 40, verse 3. Job has heard God talk. The final word has been given, and then Job answers the Lord and says, chapter 40, I love this, verse 4. Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay mine hand upon my mouth. Once have I spoken, but I will not answer. Yea, twice, but I will proceed no further. The final word has come. Verse 6, chapter 40, then the Lord answered. He's not done. Verse 15, behold how behemoth. This is an, a dinosaur. And he goes on and describes that dinosaur and how God has tamed that thing like an ox. Chapter 41, verse 1, Leviathan, another species of dinosaur. God says, Job, have you seen the dinosaurs? That's proof that men and dinosaurs once walked the planet together. He says, Job, have you seen those dinosaurs? Who created those, Job? Job says, I didn't. I can't make the eagle fly, the sun rise, or the stars come out. I can't make the peacock's feathers more beautiful. God, you did it all. You, did it. you know what God is doing? He's painting Job into a doctrinal corner. Meaning what? He's making Job confess with his mouth that God is in charge. Amen. He still hasn't told him about the conflict between him and Satan. Now we come to the end of the book. Are you ready? In chapter 42, verse number 1, Job answered and said, answered the Lord and said, I know, <laughs> I love that, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. Who is he, Job says, that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Job says in chapter 42, verse 4, here I beseech thee, and I will speak. I will demand of thee, and declare it thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now, what? Mine eye seeth thee. Wherefore, verse 6, are you ready for this church? Wherefore, I abhor myself, and repent, and dust and ashes. God, I presumed it was my business. but that was your business. I presume that was my marriage. That was your marriage. Are you with me, church? God, I was wrong and I repent in dust and ashes because I presumed those were my children. No, no. You gave them and you can take them away. He got it, didn't he? I want to stop and cry. He got it. Book's not finished, though. 
What about these old uh, yard birds that called themselves his friends? Chapter 42, verse 7. And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said unto Eliphaz, the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee. You're a terrible friend. And against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Therefore take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering and my servant Job shall pray for you. What? Stop praying for Job. Job needs to pray for you. Y'all thought y'all were right. Guess who's been right the whole time? Job never cursed God. He never sinned through the whole thing. The only sinful assumption he had was that those possessions were his. And God had to take them away to show Job nothing belongs to us. It all. Are you sitting down for this? It all. Did you hear me? It's all God's. So the friends are chastened, but the story still isn't over. I'm almost done. Go to chapter, um, let's see here, chapter 42, verse 10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. <laughs> Don't you love that? Also, the Lord gave Job, are you sitting down? Twice as much as he had before. He lost all those camels. God gave him twice the camels. He lost all of that livestock. God gave him back twice the livestock. He lost all that money. God gave him back twice the money he had before. Just hold on. God's still in charge. Are you with me, church? Verse 11, chapter 42, Then came there unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they that had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house. He hosted a party. Do you see it? It's a celebration. Of course. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. See, they still don't get it. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. Verse 12, so the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. For he had 14,000 sheep and Say it with me, church. 6,000 camels. And how many oxen? A 1,000 yoke of oxen and a 1,000 she-asses. But the book is still not finished. How many kids died? In verse number 13, it says that after the whole thing was over, God gave Job back, what, seven sons and three daughters. You say, well, wait a minute. Everything else was doubled. How come Job only has seven sons and three daughters? Look at these seven sons and three daughters with me. Verse 14, he called the name of the first Jemima, the name of the second Keziah, the name of the third Karen Hapuk. And in all the land were no women found so fair as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. And after this lived Job. Look at it, verse 16. Are you seeing it? After this lived Job an 140 years and saw his sons and his sons' sons, even what? Four generations. So Job died, verse 17, being an old and full of days. And then Job's first child died, and his second child, and his seventh child, and his eighth child, and his ninth child. And years later, his tenth child was, and all the descendants of Job, the direct descendants of Job, were finally dead. And when they all got to heaven, how many children did Job have? Twenty. Because those first ten that died, he didn't lose them. Something's not lost if you know where it's at. Job said this, Though the skin worms shall eat my body, 
Yet in my flesh I shall see God. Oh, I want to preach for an hour and a half more. But I need to tell you this in closing. When God is most quiet, we are oftentimes faithless. Pleading with him, tell us what's happening, what's going on. I have to close by telling you one more. Just, can I just give you one nugget? This is the last time Satan spoke in the Old Testament. Job shut his mouth. <laughs> Did you hear me? Satan couldn't say anything about anyone else ever for the rest of the Old Testament. Why? Because Job was so faithful that Satan's mouth was closed. And I think in heaven, if you'll pardon me for imagining it this way, I think in heaven God Almighty looked at Satan and pointed his finger in the end of his nose and said, I told you, you cannot rock a man like Job. It makes my blood run cold to think that God would turn the devil loose on me. If God turned the devil loose on my children or my wife or my family or my business or my church or my health, if God did that, I wonder if I could be as faithful and have that kind of testimony. I'm not sure that I could. But I know one thing for sure. God has a hedge around us. And if you knew, was one, if you knew what was one inch behind that hedge, it would drive you insane. You better thank God every day for the hedge that God has around your life. Will you stand with us together, congregation? Father, thank you for the story of Job.